This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. The Evolution of Financial Advice by uh, Ben Carlson. I read his work uh, frequently, as I read a lot of work uh, throughout my day and Bay Street. And I, I'm going to give you the, the, the beginning of the piece. I encourage you to, to uh, Google Ben Carlson and uh, grab the article, Evolution of Financial Advice, or reach out to Jack and I. We can always send you a copy of it. WolfgangKlein.com is how you can find us. Uh, but it says, to be a successful investor, you need to possess a different number of traits. You need an understanding of how math statistics and probabilities work. Uh, you hear Jack and I talk about the word probabilities frequently. Uh, you need to understand how corporations and the global economy generally function over the long term. You need an understanding of how different asset classes behave from a risk and reward perspective. And you need a deep understanding of financial market history from boom and bust periods. Uh, once you got that under your belt, then you just have to throw in some emotional discipline, that's easy, and stick with it uh, with a reasonable investment strategy from manias to panics and everything in between. I love it. Uh, it basically it goes through the last hundred and so years of uh, investing in the markets from a public perspective. And uh, back in the 20s, uh, it was the public that really controlled the stock market. I think 90% of shares held were held by individuals, yet the general populace did not participate in the stock market. So it was individuals who owned the companies, but there were very few of them. Fast forward 100 years, institutions control much more of the market today than they ever have, and public participation uh, is much broader. I think coming out of the year 2000, 60% of Americans owned equity, whereas in 1920, I think 2% of Americans owned equity. Uh, And of course, now there's 100 years of data that we can rest on as to the trend of markets and valuations and the like. Uh, But it's the emotional part that continues to make it most exciting, Uh, all of which is a fabulous segue for our guest, uh, Mr. Amos Nodler, uh, PhD. Uh, My friend, frequent visitor on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, also a chief scientist, founder at Prof of Wall Street. Uh, Welcome back, my friend. Uh, Thank you, Wolf. It is always a pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, Jack, what was your first line in terms of almost, uh, oh, uh, that's right, artificial intelligence, AI, uh, all the enthusiasm around that. Uh, Is this a bubble in the making or is it different this time, Amos? I love the setup. I love the question uh, because the answer to this question relies on both the uh, notion of bubbles and the first part of this because Ben's article finishes with this line, behavior is and always be the final frontier. Yeah. Uh, th- thank you for, for, for finishing off from right. that. Very, very good. You, you grabbed yeah. the article. Yeah. So when you say bubbles, bubbles refer to the behavior of individuals responding to information, responding to facts. Prices are the equilibrium determined by, you know, selling and buying pressure in the market. So when you talk about AI being a bubble, we have some facts to look at. You can look at NVIDIA's earnings. You can look at Microsoft. You can look at what's happening in the marketplace and start to make some assessments about whether a bubble is forming. It's hard to know in the moment. And all the all academic research agrees in the moment it's difficult because prices could deviate dramatically from any ratio you want, from earnings, from PE, from EBITDA. But the point of it is saying, well, down the road, there's going to be higher higher valuations or more cash flow coming. So right now, it might be difficult is kind of what most academics are saying. But I'm asking you, how much more revenue is AI going to generate 
to substantiate these uh, these market caps. So what do you think? Well, again, you're, you're asking some interesting uh, questions. Um, uh, I think AI is going to generate uh, a lot more revenue than anyone can possibly imagine. Uh, I also think it is going to take a lot longer than most people <laughs> expect. And you know why I'm making those two statements, and I think that they're founded in a lot of uh, wisdom, uh, is because Rob Young, one of our tech analysts, uh, educated me on just that. When it comes to technology, especially game-changing technology, it always takes longer than expected, but it also is larger than ever anticipated. Jack, I'm going to come over to you now. You, you drew some parallels, or picked up some parallels uh, this week between Cisco Systems uh, in its dot-com glory days and I think it was NVIDIA today. Uh, Correct, yeah. So NVIDIA is trading. You talk about all the different multiples and metrics that you can look at almost. And and basically, mm-hmm. you look at you know the valuations of Cisco Systems back in 2000, which was the darling stock, believe it or not. People looking back mm-hmm. really don't look at it that way now. But well, it, it was like me do. <laughs> if you were in the in the moment, uh, it was the go-go stock of 2000. So um, the fact is, investors tend to discount the future. What was the math, Jack? What was the math? I don't have the exact number. What was around oh. like something like 40, uh, 40 times sales, uh, which the fact is, NVIDIA is trading above where Cisco that, that's was. My point. Yes. So NVIDIA is actually trading well above. I think that's how you quoted me. It was trading well above the valuations that Cisco was trading at. It took Cisco... Cisco, long, I don't know if it came back to its previous peak. It's act to check. But that out they, for us. they actually they, they came in in terms of meeting their earnings numbers. And the stock but the fact falling. was the fact was that the 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 market had already discounted all that and then immediately. Some. Yeah, and right? then and some. that's what investors do, and that is part of the fear of missing out. You talk about fear, but, greed, but, but, emotion. But, but fear of missing happened, out is real. What happened then, Jack? As well was sales continued to rise, earnings continued to rise, and the stock continued to fell from 2000 until 2000. I don't know when the bottom was, 2006, 7, 8. Uh, it also was interesting, and I'm going to pivot away here, uh, in terms of markets, markets tend to generate long-term a 10% compounded rate of return. Uh, 2000, coming out of the tech wreck into 2008, 9, uh, was a lost decade for the S&P 500. Uh, easier, I guess, for an American to appreciate uh, than a Canadian, because Canadians in that period of time ran to commodities and made a lot of money, uh, which again shows you, it, it, which all comes back to what you said at the beginning, and you used the basics of economics, which friends, if you learn anything in economics, study closely supply and demand. Simple chart, simple curves, very, very important. So important. I know Jack actually understands those shaded areas above left, right, bottom better than I do, uh, but they're, it's so so important, supply and demand. And again, it's incredible. Uh, in terms of valuations, Canadian bank stocks today, U.S. bank stocks today, banks, bank, they've been around for 100 years, who always make money because they chisel us. They always chisel and they chisel so well. They make spreads and they, they're the masters. You know, if they're the house, if there is a house, it is the banks. They're trading at eight, nine times earnings with juicy dividends, very predictable businesses. Yeah, always some hair around them. Housing, rising interest rates, sure, whatever. But uh, eight, nine times earnings. The tech stocks like NVIDIA and AMD, which, by the way, we sold this week, friends. Just FYI, peeled some money back, uh, leaned into the market. Um, and anyways, they're trading at valuations five times that, six times that, seven times that. In other words, 50 to 60 times earnings. So they are amazing companies. Well, if the point is great companies, Lots of earnings potential. Lots of demand. But I want to go back to the. But, but I was going to say the price supply. is reflecting that. That's what. That's the point. It's reflecting the demand. Uh, the, the demand for the shares because this gets back down to psychology. I think the fear of missing out. I, I don't will, know. I will add from a fundamental point of view. We had our strategist Martin Roberge present to us just last week, and he was talking about the tech bubble of two thousand. Mentioned Cisco. 
told investors back in 90, fall of 99, I think it was, he said, tech is uh, very expensive, time to rotate out, only to watch tech go much higher. It did. For, and that's that double from it, that period it of time. Yeah, crazy. So, so and then he was, hold, hold on, hold on. Ultimately, he was right, but he was just early. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. What's your pulse on consumer behavior, investor behavior? We could take a, a, a sort of focused parallel between Cisco and NVIDIA. No problem. We could talk about sales being at 40x parallel, fine. But try to compare the macroeconomic environment in which it's occurring, A, totally different. We have, we have rates, we have war, we have all sorts of uncertainty that's happening in, in 2023 that was different in the late 90s. We have an entirely new business sector built around the internet and hundreds of companies going public, coming up with new ideas. And here we have this hardcore myopia around NVIDIA around ChatGPT, around Microsoft, around Bing, around these things. So the, the parallel may, I think, begin and end with, with sales multiples, but the environment's very, very different. And you're not going to see the S&P skyrocketing being pulled up by this, by this emergent technology in the same way, because I don't think it has the same scheme. Like NVIDIA alone can't do it. I mean, yes, a single stock can list the index, absolutely. And that's often what creates why index investing can be, can be a smart move for a lot of people. But let's take a look around and see how are people feeling about inflation still an issue, and the Bank of Canada raised rates, who knows what's going to happen in the U.S., is an election you know, not too far off. They're very different situations. So I would say that people's excitement about or rather beliefs that this is going to continue to skyrocket in the same way that stocks did during that time, I think my, my personal belief is it's unlikely, period. However, those who want to participate, it's okay to participate in bubbles as long as you are being rational as a participant in the bubble. Do you think, but let's go back to then, do you think we are in a bubble? As I said, until we see cash flows, we can't know a priori whether there's a bubble or not. I say you're only going to know in hindsight, Wolf, but right now I think almost point is there is no alternative or that's how some market participants are looking at it as a, and there is a lot of fear missing out the one big difference that you had back in 2000 versus what we have right now in terms of the economy economy was actually accelerating so investors could rotate out of high value technology into the market sensitive um value stocks whereas now there's there's a fear of the economy slowing down so uh technology is the only game in town so to speak because you don't want to rotate into economically sensitive stuff as you head into a recession well, I am hearing a little bit of this time it's different. Um, again, Y2K. Thank God we survived that. That was scary, wasn't it, friends? Hey, Y2K, how about that? I remember uh, having a surgical procedure done in the late 90s, and I think my food tray had a Y2K compliance sticker on it in the hospital. I kid you not, my, my fruit tray. Well, it's Y2K compliant. It'll pass. It'll, 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 it'll withstand the turning of a clock. Friends. You want to pay attention to what almost has to say here. Uh, we're going to keep digging deeper into the psychologist's brain. Uh, got to pay some bills around here. It is Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. Uh, clients who, who stick with us make more money over time. They compound wealth. Uh, that's what this business is all about. Uh, staying in the game uh, in a reasonable fashion, not getting shaken out, and compounding wealth. Uh, it is the finest, finest, finest math I've ever come across. Compounding Stay tuned. We shall compound for you right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. I never had no problems, yeah. 
Welcome back, Disco Ducks. Let's go to the disco, indeed. You know, it's funny that pop music tends to do very well uh, in an economic upturn. Uh, that was the mid-70s when that came out, and mid-70s was a very, very challenging period uh, for the markets. Uh, many false starts, the Dow could not get above uh, 1,000. Uh, it was basically flirted between 500 and 1,000. Uh, almost the last decade, and, and inflation was uh, very, very persistent. Interest rates were rising, and the economy was slowing. It was actually a period of stagflation. Uh, and it's funny, through my 20-year career on Bay Street, many times, a uh, number of times, uh, markets were reflective as being similar to the 70s, but it's never the same. It's always different. That's what is the same. Uh, difference is the same in the market. But uh, the way people act, that is the same. Uh, Amos, that's a true or false question. The way people act is always the same. True or false? I think that we have the same vulnerabilities. And yes, we're the same as we were during the tulip bulb media. We're the same during the uh, you know the 1800s. And yes, the constant is human nature. I agree with that. However, as I said, we are highly contact sensitive as people. And to think that across the board, this time is different to say that, I think it's probably not true in this context. I would say that a significant portion of people's minds is about rising rates, is about macroeconomic slowdown. And people's willingness to take a flyer on, on a bubble, I think is significantly lower during, during other times. So it's not that people are necessarily smarter. It's that the environment is chastening some of their more speculative impulses. The, 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 point, I know, the point I'm trying to make here, almost, um, you're getting academic on me here, buddy, which is fine. That's what you can <laughs> I do. It's a, I, I'm a basic you know, 101 within every course. Uh, understand basic math. Understand basic economics. Uh, that's the stuff that really counts. You know why? Because they play that song first. They want to open up with a hit song. Give them something that actually really, really counts. And we can, we can get off to the 13th derivative of, of, of this form of mathematics and sure apply that to such a microcosm of the world. Uh, but for the, average, for the average person out there, I like to keep things really, really simple. I want to go back to the themes change. Is it oil? The world's got to eat. What happened to that? The world's got to eat. Potash and agrim are going through the roof because the world has to eat. Got to get some potash. No, we're going nuclear because there's a uh, energy, a nuclear renaissance going on. Oh, it's different this time. It's different this time. Uranium goes through the roof. Oil. There's no more oil. Running out of oil. Right? 150. No, excuse me. Too much oil. Zero. Negative oil during COVID. 150. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my point there is when you get periods like that, something's ripping higher. People do want to participate. People do act the same. Uh, and then the, the the inertia, the Sir Isaac Newton, a body in motion continues in motion. If I could snowballs and becomes, it's like the universe. It just, it just snowballs. It's expanding, right? Uh, and so does people's enthusiasms towards a hot sector. And then when it becomes, turns into a black hole, <laughs> that's what we'll call them, a black hole. Uh, you know, there's another point, by the way, uh, I want to just throw out there. Uh, Jack and I chat on our little drive to the studio every week just about all kinds of market stuff. And the uh, point was, about a stock uh, that went from $7 to $0.40. And uh, Jack and I totally agree that you don't want to own anything that goes from $7 to $0.40 or whatever. You know, hey, I sold it at $7. You know, I paid paid $3. I sold it at $7. Now it's worth $0.40. Is that a good thing? No, it's not a good thing. It means basically you're you're, you're buying junk and you got lucky. Uh, You want to buy a stock, sell it, and eventually watch that stock actually go higher. Uh, Why? Because that means you're buying the right stuff. You're playing in the right sandbox. Uh, But when you get too caught up in emotions, then you're going to end up in the wrong sandbox. Uh, and again, Amos, do you agree with what I just said there? You just nailed one of the biggest uh, investment biases that almost nobody talks about. 
so this is risk aversion. People people buy something and get out too soon, and that happens a lot. I have a actually Nvidia. I bought Nvidia at like you know six dollars, sold it at twenty, and missed out on about a million million five uh, from the the subsequent you know ten years of it. I think if people can do their DD on why they're buying and have equally good due diligence on why they're selling, I think you'll have much less missed opportunities. So your point about buying junk, don't buy junk in the first place. If you're like dead set on speculating, limit the allocation to something very low, I would say under 1%, and learn how to manage positions if you're going to be actively managing at all. Which which most people are not capable of doing any of the above. They're not capable of doing, honestly, you're not, trust me, you're not, you won't manage a position. You either buy more of it or just watch it go to zero. So why? Bother? Why frustrate you? you know, but the reason have- why they spec wolf, they go out and speculate, is because investors are greedy. And almost, can you speak to the fact that watching your neighbor get rich and you not participating, uh-huh. as opposed to as opposed to investing towards your long term goals and objectives? Tell talk about the difference of those two things and investment behavior. Oh, absolutely. People are highly socially sensitive, and there's been a like, <laughs> huge upswell in academic research in the last like five years about social research. My neighbor did this, so-and-so did that, and so I'm going to participate. Uh, you know, Twitter and social media made it infinitely worse. There's actually entire startups dedicated just to this social influence of stuff. I'm not going to name drop any of them, not necessarily promoting any of them, but social finance has gotten huge. And social comparison is something that's innate to humans, and there's, you know, there's, there's no getting around that. Uh, so I think your point about comparison, you could also say about the market itself. I think that you actually made a very deep point there that in a way, it doesn't really matter what the market is happening. The reason you're investing is to meet future cash flow obligations for you as a specific investor. That's the value that you guys bring to your clients. Hey, Amos, so, I, yeah. I, want, I want to take you to, to a different direction, same same, uh, okay. same, same topic. Again, if you're just tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio, show about money, I'm Wolfgang Klein, along with my partner, Jack Hartle. Any questions, wolfgangklein.com. Uh, we manage money. We do it very well. We show our performance uh, each and every month, fully transparent. Go to the website, wolfgangklein.com, and see how much money uh we make and don't make for our clients, and uh, sometimes we don't make money. Uh, but over the t- long haul, we make a lot of money. Almost not. He's a PhD, chief scientist, uh, founder at uh, Professor of Wall Street. Um, I was in Siena. Uh, Siena is a beautiful uh, town in uh, Italy, and um, in it is a fortified little town. And a bunch of towers are in these towns. Look like bell towers, uh, just little tower, big t- towers, um, total penis envy going on in that town. And what it was, was people with wealth would build towers and the wealthier the family, the bigger the tower. And they, they, since in the last hundred years or so, a number of the towers came down, but there's still about five or six of them. They're, you can actually walk up inside many of them. Just take a look at the top of the tower. You can look out and overlook the Tuscany Valley. It's very beautiful and be higher than your neighbor. Look down on your neighbor. Uh, so that's what consumers did. That's what people did. Wealthy people did back in the 15 and 1600s. Let's fast forward. Do people do the same thing, i.e. show off their wealth? Uh, yeah. Look at Ferrari. Look at Louis Vuitton. Stocks are flying. Luxury high-end brands are ripping. Uh, read a report from Morgan Stanley. They're speaking about bags. Bags, my friend. Uh 
and, and they were going through price ranges for a thousand euro bag, which is about fifteen hundred Canadian, to fifteen thousand euro bag, which is about twenty some odd thousand Canadian. I think Jack, you in the report saw something someone had a fifty thousand dollar bag. But who who, would, who, who bag walks with? around with fifteen thousand euro bags? And guess what? One percent of one percent population does. But let's talk about that. Like, and again, I go back to people's behavior doesn't change. The environment does. If they're building towers or buying bags, it's the same move. Talk about that, almost. Oh, my gosh. That's a, I love that topic. I actually have a paper on this. Uh, I, we found that increasing testosterone level in men <laughs> increased the desire for luxury and status goods. It's like one of my most well, like highly cited papers is specifically about that. That send it, send it to us. Factors. Send it to us, please. Sorry. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll, I'll I'll be glad to send you. Just look it up uh, uh, online, but I'll send you a, a free version. But the, your point stands. Like it's evolutionarily built into us to signal our wealth, our biological fitness, and our resources to other people. Yeah. And your point about it evolving over time is, is brilliant because it's so true. And it's also true that different social groups show it in different ways. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Uh, Amos okay. Nadler, you chief scientist, founder, at professor of Wall Street, PhD, kind of a guy. Uh, is right now, that trade, that trade, every research report I read is, is predicated on China participating. The, the, the newly created middle class and upper middle class, right? Gangnam style type. Right? That who wants, that's who wants to show off their brands. And it's ironic when you go through the different brands, the target market for each brand, of course, is unique and different. And what they also, the move they also pull, which goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show, supply and demand. They restrict supply. Restrict supply. This stuff ends up on eBay, and, and, and even uh, Russell Oliver, I buy your jewelry. He's also buying handbags uh, because they believe it or not. Jack's laughing. Jack Jack doesn't get it yet. Uh, but then every now and then, Kate shows up with a pair of uh, on shoes. Oh, she has the on shoes now. She's because Kate's wife's so much ahead of Jack in terms of uh, new trends. Uh, you know, fashion is what Jack does. He's a hockey player, which is cool. It's all good. He's really good at it too. Um, it's funny when people get to know Jack. Hey, well, if you know he's got a fight card out, check it out, friends. Fight guard Jack Hartle. You got to kick out of that part of him too. But, uh, anyways, uh, the high end brands are working. When I travel Europe as well, almost, it's amazing when I go through Designer Alley and I look at these price points and my jaw drops. Again, I like to go to the market in, in Italy and, and pick myself up a leather jacket for 170 euro. Gorgeous. It smells nice. It's real. Designer Alley, yeah, it's about a $17,000 garment. Not for me. I'd rather buy stock. Um, so, anyways, almost. If there's anything else in terms of high-end brands and the newly created middle class out of Asia, you want to build on, please. Uh, over to you. This holds true in Asia. It also holds true in North America, Canada, the U.S. Is that one of the weaknesses of, of people is that we prioritize investing in social signaling. But if you imagine taking those, you know, sneakers or that jacket or that car or that you know, tattoo or whatever, and then think about that in terms of its future value. I know, Wolf, I'm getting very academic here, but if you can get normal people to see some, the $100 instead of an object that will wear out in, the, you know, in, in six months, or that that $100 has a future compounded value that's significantly more, that's where behavior starts to change. And it's tough because it's against our instincts. It's against who most people are. But those who can consistently make that trade-off and reduce their present bias, those are the people who have significantly better futures. Jack can do it. I was going to say, Jack can live do it. With, Wolf, you live within your means. I would rather buy the Hermes stock than buy the Hermes bag and sell the bag for 40000 bucks. Oh, goodness gracious. Yes, I'm with you, Jack. I totally agree. Yep. Uh, anyways, it's a fascinating, fascinating discussion. Amos Nodler, a PhD, chief scientist and founder at 
professor of Wall Street. A uh, real pleasure, my good friend. We will get you back on oh so soon. Uh, next in the show is an old friend of ours, Mr. Richard Davis. Uh, he is a tech guru uh, now working for... Uh, Unity Software. Wolf. Unity Software, uh, content creation software company. Brilliant stuff that Unity does. Just indeed. partnered with Apple. They partnered with Apple. Very exciting. Yeah, we'll have to talk to Richard stuff. about that. Let's get to break. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. Money. Stash okayish. I wonder how you do that in a cashless world. Hey, record it in Quadraphonic. Boy, they have made a lot of cash off of that album. I think it sold 250 million copies worldwide. Uh, Pink Floyd exhibits taking place, I guess, around the world. It's uh, they continue to extract <laughs> value out of that. If you're taking business, business one on one, you'll learn about a cash cow. It's a mature business that just spits out cash. You know, cigarette companies, cash cows. Uh, well, that record is a cash cow because it's a piece of art. And uh, again, quadraphonic sound, Laser Floyd. Uh, our next guest, uh, uh, he's with Unity Software. His name is Richard Davis. Um, he's been on the show many times. He used to be a key analyst um, at Canaccord. And uh, Richard, uh, welcome back to the show. You're a uh, president, investor, and uh, strategy at Unity uh, Technologies. I read your bio here, and it says, you sit at the intersection of essentially every part of Unity. Uh, you're a trusted advisor up and down the organization. You're providing a 360-degree view of how our ecosystem of investors, competitors, customers think and respond. Skills, strategic planning, leadership, management, mergers and acquisitions, forecasting, investor relations, planning, budgeting, forecasting, cash flow forecasting, pre-IPO, financial structuring, business development, financial markets, accounting, financial analysis. Like, honestly, Richard, that, that, and you know, it, it's so honest what you tell what, what you what you what you write here. I, that, it's incredible uh, how many hats. Uh, you you end up wearing and how you end up you know you you are a business person thinking uh, from all aspects of a business, but uh, how far technology has come and again I think of Pink Floyd as they were a leading edge uh, technologically sound uh, band artist you know from a production point of view from a just using keys and synthesizers laser Floyd as you know three dimensional uh, show productions uh, they were like one of the coolest bands. Uh, of their day and they are a time-tested classic rock band today um yep technology continues to just push forward uh michael hainsworth the formula bnn has been on our show many times i want you to meet him one day because he was a broadcaster and host on bnn who interviewed me many a times and uh, he was a big techie uh very very current on tech and i was trying to stay very abreast of technological changes he was speaking about the aug Mented reality coming to the market from Apple, and he's been excited for those uh, Apple headsets for a long time. They recently hit the market a little more expensive than the market was hoping for. I think they came in at around, or they're coming in at about 3700 US for a set. Uh, the market was hoping for slightly below that, but uh, nonetheless, I think it was a reasonable launch. But your, your company, Unity, uh, has created a partnership with 
Apple? And if so, please, congratulations and tell us all about it. Well, thanks very much. And thanks for having me on. And I was telling you all that uh, I saw that Toronto's ranked as one of the top 10 cities to live in. And I actually would heartily agree, even though I'm from Boston. And uh, so thanks very much. And great to catch up. Yeah, I mean, so the relationship, we have relationships with really like 20 of the largest uh, platforms out there, uh, everyone from Sony, Nintendo, Apple, etc. And Apple obviously is one of the great companies in history, and we're thrilled to be working with them. We actually started, believe it or not, our company was founded almost 20 years ago, and we were using, our founders were using Macs, which back then was, you know, shockingly I guess unique and things like that. So we've we've remained friends with Apple for a long time, and um, and and we work with them closely and in all sorts of ways. And we're you know thrilled to be a partner with them, you know now and in the past and hopefully in the future. So uh, this uh, you know the the Vision Pro is an interesting product. It, and so remember what they say in the title. It says Vision Pro. So think about that. That's like the you know MacBook Pro or a oh, yeah. Mac Pro and all that. So it's the high end product. So they're kind of starting at the top, and presumably they'll they'll create more uh, when they get more supply chain capabilities. You know, make stuff that's even cheaper and easier and cooler to use. But yeah, this could be the equivalent of an iPhone one. We're certainly not at the iPhone ten, but it is it is awfully cool technology. So have you seen the product, the uh, the Vision Pro, Richard? And and what do you think of it? <laughs> Yeah, I haven't actually used it. Our CEO has. He's he's looked at it and thought it was very impressive. Um, I've kind of just seen it as you have, but I've heard from our engineers that they thought it was, uh, you know, quite a step function improvement over uh, what you've seen so far. So w- what they're calling it is kind of mobile computing. And, you know, your phone will still be mobile computing, but to some degree, is they going to get the form factor more, you know, you know, easy to wear or easy to carry around or something like that, um, you know, it'll probably get even more ubiquitous because if there's one thing we know we don't do is, you know, you don't bet against Apple when they come out with stuff. So historically, they've been pretty successful. It's funny. There's a few companies that they're now saying you don't bet against. Microsoft is the other one uh, being coined as the shark. If, uh, if Microsoft gets into your yeah. market, look out. You have a shark that just entered <laughs> the water. Uh, uh, Richard Davis joining us. Uh, he's with Unity Software, former analyst at Canaccord, a tech guru uh, with a very global business um, uh, mindset. Uh, Vision Pro uh, product from Apple, which is augmented reality. In 60 seconds, can you describe what the product uh, will allow people to do and why it's a product that's catching your interest, Richard? Yeah, so maybe think about it as, you know, it's almost so that if the Oculus from Meta slash Facebook was a, you know, standard deaf TV, what, what Apple has come up with is a, you know, high def or 4k version of that. And so it's just easier to use. It's much better fidelity. And the, the fact that the ecosystem that Apple works with, and that means application developers all around the world and, and things like that in should give them a leg up over time in that space. And so, um, you know, they, they come into the, uh, they're kind of the, the uh, elephant that does a cannonball into the pool. And so people <laughs> pay attention to them. So, Fascinating. That's really what it is. 
Uh, Richard, we're going to take a break, pay uh, pay some bills around here on Hi-Fi Radio. It is a show about money, and I'd really like to have uh, the man from Boston, uh, Richard Davis, uh, spend some time with us. Uh, he is with Unity Software, uh, wearing a lot of hats uh, with the firm. It's a very dynamic uh, software company. Of course, we are talking about uh, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, augmented reality, AI, AR, uh, and certainly uh, no... Uh, I'm not going to say. I'm going to take a break. <laughs> Get right back to the show. Stand by. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Keep them coming, friends. Keep them coming. Welcome back to the show about money. Little Joe Walsh there. Life has been good. I hope it's been good to you. It's been great to me. And, uh, well, me, the greatness spill over uh, to all of you. And, uh, you know, having money, more of it helps. It does help. Um, yes, indeed. And don't fall victim to these. Have you caught these commercials, Jack, on television? I know you don't watch a lot of television. Um, but the commercials running on people who've taken on too much debt and now they need help because they're insolvent and it's, they're basically looking for a handout. It's, it's appalling that they consume too much big debt. Now they're in financial difficulty and about to lose everything. Uh, well, bankruptcies are ticking up right now. So throughout COVID free handouts found its way obviously into people's bank accounts. Uh, I, bought, what I, bought, I, know, but I say they bought I, a bunch of discretionary items. There was not a lot of no. insolvencies, not a lot of bankruptcies, but now reality is kicking in because Interest, uh, borrowing is not free. I'm just saying the Cost consumer world we live in, some, some people have, I don't care what the government, government handouts is a new thing. There are people who are just consuming too much stuff that they can't afford, uh, and they end up in a situation of, of, of a bankruptcy. It's, just, it's not good. But I would say that's part of, I'm going to say a normal cycle too. A normal cycle. That's, that is my point. And, and, but now they're running commercials saying that, you, you know, society help us. We, we, we've, we've got oh, ourselves in trouble. Those. Yeah, it, 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 it's not good. Uh, it's not good. Um, it's not good. You you must learn to live beneath your means. And I'll tell you, you know, if you're a, a, a child of an of a, of a of an immigrant, uh, you're going to learn those lessons well because your parents are going to teach them to you. Uh, the issue is the sixth, seventh, eighth generation they don't learn those lessons anymore uh, until they have to, and that's usually the wrong time. Uh, my goodness, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a blessing well, to be a it's, child it's of a margin of, Yeah, live with a margin of safety. Live beneath your means. No different than when you're buying stocks. Make sure that you know if you're buying a stock, make sure that it's a high quality stock where there's a margin of safety. There's how about a, no a debt? Good how chance how about no wrong. debt? How about no debt? The problem is people are taking on too much consumer debt. You know, and I know, Jack. There's only one type of debt I think is acceptable for an average Canadian, an average Canadian, and that is a mortgage. No consumer debt. Period. Never, ever, ever. Uh, the intro, credit card, you get 18 per, I can't make you 18%. Uh, maybe Javit can. Uh, <laughs> our guest here is a technician, market technician. Um, but you know something? I know he can't. I say ma- manage consumer debt for sure. And I mean, if you don't have no, don't have any. No, don't manage it. Don't have any consumer debt. If you're going to buy a big ticket item, not a lot of people have but, a, enough money to buy a car in their bank account. So, yes, you right, know what? You I got to need a, that's I a, need second. a vehicle. That's a second. Okay, but what, do you need the $80,000? Yeah, okay, I think a BMW and, a, and an Audi and, and a high end car. Belongs to no, no, about, wait, hear me, belongs to one or two percent of the population. I, I think the, the fifteen to twenty percent of the population are driving luxury brand cars, which depreciate. That's it. There is 
ample, there's millions of dollars set up for retirement, $1,000 a month. So, so do you I, want to retire well or you want to have a nice car? So, Wolf, I will say one thing. I've always bought the same car, a used car. Yeah, my, wife, my wife gets a new one, keep her happy. I've always got the used car. I'm not down on a used car or buy a car, a good quality car, like a Toyota or a Honda, and drive it for 50. My Audi, people are laughing. Excuse me, my, my Volkswagen diesel, uh, oh, two liter TDI 2004. I just put it to bed 12, what, 18 months ago. I, I, had I think car. it put itself to bed. I think it was done well. It did. I drove it to the <laughs> end. I took care of it. Yeah, it cost me nothing. You know how much money, how much wealth I built while I wasn't paying for a car payment. It was all going to the bank. I was banking all that dough. Over 18 years, it's, a, it's millions, or at least a million. It's a lot of dough. Uh, look at our website. We, we actually have a lot of compounding tables on it uh, under our resource center. Go to wolfgangkline.com if you're interested in the power of compounding. And th- that really is what wealth creates. That's how you create wealth long-term. Uh, there is no other way. Uh, of course, Jack and I, we're going to talk about the squiggles on the line right now with Javit. It's what, you know, we do. Uh, we look at trends and try to, you know, anticipate change and, you know, add value, add alpha. But ultimately, you want to build wealth, you buy quality, and you do that for about 25 years um, and stick with it. Uh, Javit, do you agree or disagree with all that babble of mine? A hundred percent agree. It's uh, being consistent over time is the key to wealth, living below your means, all of that is the most important. In fact, that all of that, those habits are much more important than, you know, buying one stock and, and maybe doubling your money. It's like investing is like going to the gym. It's all about those incremental gains and just doing it week after week. And one of the best things you can do is just have money set aside that automatically gets deposited into your investment account that you don't even see. And I think that's what the difference is ultimately between wealthy people and poor people is that poor people, they get the money, they spend it, and they invest the rest. And wealthy people, they get the money, they invest it, and then they spend what's over. I love that. That different in mindset is key. It's critical. And you guys do a great job in helping people achieve those goals. We do. I, 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 I truly believe that. Go to our website. You, you tell us, my good friends. You go to WolfgangKlein.com. Hit the Performance Matters button. Uh, you'll see well over a decade of, of monthly returns that Jack and I have generated for our clients. Uh, over a decade. And then I, I say to you, ask your current advisor if they publish their work. There is not one advisor in the country that publishes their portfolio work on a monthly basis the way we do. Uh, I don't understand why. Are they afraid of what they're showing? I don't know. Uh, anyways, WolfgangKlein.com, you can find it there. But to Javit, uh, help me out here. Um, I'm seeing a lot of strength in, I'm going to throw about 10 names to you that are strong and some names that are weak. Uh, NVIDIA, MDB, I mentioned to you, uh, Fair Isaac. Uh, Copart uh, is a stock that just had a nice pop for us. Uh, Louis Vuitton, Uber, uh, Ferrari, Constellation Software, and Booking Holdings. There's 10 names that are looking very, very strong. Now let me show you, talk about some names that are looking weak and get your opinion. All the Canadian banks, every darn one of them. Cheaper than chips, eight, nine times earnings, juicy dividends. And again, Jack's reminded me, and I'm going to remind him, and he's going to keep, we're going to keep reminding each other these Canadian banks raise their dividend almost twice a year. I, friends, did, did you hear what I said? Canadian banks increased their dividends almost every every six months and yet the stocks are trending lower 
Um, REIT's not looking too healthy. Re- anything real estate is not looking very healthy, believe You heard what I said, friends. Most real estate stocks not looking well. Oil not looking so good, which doesn't bode well for the Toronto market. So I've shared with you some good. I've shared with you a lot of bad. And then we got the in-between stuff, which I think is the Amazons of the world. Okay, Javid, so what do you think? The strong versus the weak. What, what I would say here, Wolf, is continue to stick with the strong, and they're going to be leaders in, in this new cycle as well. So right now we're seeing, especially in the industrials, they've been some pretty uh, – shown some strong leadership. So I definitely like uh, industrials in this new cycle. And, you know, we've talked about this, the HFL cycle or higher for longer. So – we believe inflation and rates are going to be higher and be stickier than most people anticipate. So especially stocks that are paying dividends, uh, we like a lot uh, as well. But in general, you know, Jeff, I'm going to interrupt you. The dividend paying stocks with stocks that aren't working, the the big juicy divvies are the banks and they're not working. Uh, Same with the oils, not working. What do you do with them? So I do like the banks here uh, in financials in both Canada and the U.S. We are looking for them to turn around. They are, as you mentioned, uh, obviously. So, so, good time. So you like the banks, fine, turning around. What about the energy space? Do not. Uh, very cautious on energy. So I, I, I think we, you know, Wolfgang and Jack, you guys are usually on our Monday call where we talk to the entire team. And one of the things we've been highlighting since August of last year is that we think crude is going to be kind of in this choppy sideways trading range into, call it, late 2024, early 2025. So we think energy stocks are poised to underperform. Now, I'm not saying... Okay, no, that's cool, that's cool. Uh, Javid, I apologize, we, we, we've gone a little long here. Uh, Jack, I'm going to give Jack 10 seconds. Uh, Jack, what's your take? The strong stocks versus the weak stocks? I agree with Javid. Leadership will continue to lead in the next cycle. So strong and, stocks continue to be, will continue and if you're to be strong? Own, and if you're going to own the weaker stocks, make sure you're getting paid in between, meaning you're getting those dividends. Dividends are increasing, and make sure that you own quality because the market may not agree with you on your timeline. Quality, quality, quality. And so what we mean by the best in breed in the sector. So if it's an oil stock, buy the biggies. If it's a healthcare stock, buy the biggies. If it's a real estate company, buy the biggies. Uh, too much detail for you guys. You shouldn't even worry about this stuff. You should hire someone like Jack and I. We'll worry about the minutiae with Javid for you. Anyways, that's it. Show's over. Hi-Fi Radio, each and every Saturday on 640 Toronto. Javid Mirza, our technician, I thank you for your time. My partner, Jack Hartle, as always, a delight. Friends at home, be well, be safe, be wealthy. Work, 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 save, invest, repeat, 25 years. Got it? See ya. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week.